A few weeks ago, I had to ring the bank with a problem about our credit card. I thought it would be a fairly simple affair. I rang the bank and it began with that menu, press one for such and such, two for so and so, press three for this and so on. None of the menu items matched my particular problem, so I had to press nine to talk to the customer service representative. Then came the next voice. Um, You are number seven in the queue, but your call is important to us. Please hold until the first available, so on. Fifteen minutes later, which isn't too bad, I finally got on to someone. It turns out, though, I've rung the wrong number. I shouldn't be ringing the bank. I should be ringing the 13 number on the back of the credit card. So I ring the 13 number on the back of the credit card. Same story. Press one for such and such. Press two and so and so. This time... I actually got onto a person fairly quickly, only to be told when I explained my problem, I should be ringing the bank, not the credit card people. So I'm back on that phone number. It turned out that I actually never got onto anyone who could help me. I just gave up. I'm pretty sure, though, if I could have talked to the right person, they could have fixed my problem very easily. It wasn't that complicated. It's just that I couldn't get access to them. The very system that was designed to help me was actually getting in the way. Now, that's a little bit like what's happening for the nation of Israel as we open up to 1 Samuel. The very system that was designed to help them is getting in the way. The system that was meant to bring them access to God, the priesthood, It is doing the exact opposite of what was intended. It's actually keeping people away from God. Now, if you were here last week, um, we started digging around in chapter 1 and a little bit of chapter 2 of 1 Samuel, and we were seeing that it is a really dark time for the nation of Israel. If we go back about 2,000 years from today, we hit Jesus, the time of the New Testament. We go back 1,000 years before that, and we're in the days of 1 Samuel. It's just after the book of Judges. And if you read the end of the book of Judges, it is one of the darkest times in the nation of Israel. They are in a spiral of sin and rejection of God that is out of control. And we find out in chapter 2 that this darkness and sin has spread to the priests themselves. The priests who are meant to be representing God and helping the nation of Israel deal with their sin, they have become corrupt. And in today's passage, we're going to see how God plans to deal with that. And the way that he deals with it has some implications not just for them, but for us. And how we can have access to God, no matter how bad things get. So that's where we're heading this morning. But before we... um, get to that problem and solution, it might be worth thinking what actually is a priest because there's a lot of talk about priests in this chapter. Why do Israel need priests? What what does a priest do? To answer that, let's jump straight into the middle of today's passage. Have a look at 1 Samuel chapter 2 and verse 28. Right in the middle of the passage today, God is talking to Eli about what the priests were meant to do, and it's summarised in verse 28 with three things. Verse 28, 1 Samuel 2, talking to Eli. I chose your father out of all the tribes of Israel 
to be my priest, to go up to the altar, to burn incense, and to wear an ephod in my presence. It turns out that those three things are actually a pretty good summary of what an Old Testament priest was and what they did. The first one, go up to my altar. That is talking about how the priest would offer sacrifices to God. An animal would be killed by the priest. The blood from that animal would be sprinkled on the altar by the priest. And that was the way that God's people could be forgiven. Forgiveness had a cost. A price needed to be paid for the people's wrong. And the priest would pay that price in the offering of the sacrifice on the altar. That was the first role of the priest, go up to God's altar. The second role is to offer incense. Did you see that there? Yes, that's the smelly stuff that you see in the hippie shops up near Byron Bay, the the sort of smoky incense. In the Old Testament, uh, incense was the way that Israel would say thank you to God. Just like you might you know, buy someone a box of chocolates to say thank you or send them some flowers to say thank you. God set up the way to say thank you to him was to burn a special uh, mixture of spices and, and that was called an aroma pleasing to God. It was a way of saying thanks. So offering sacrifices for sin, incense as a thank offering and thirdly, The last thing in verse 28 there was to wear an ephod in God's presence. Now, an ephod is a fancy apron thing, kind of like, you know, you might wear at the barbecue with the big Australian flag on it. But what's on this ephod are 12 stones. And those 12 stones represented the 12 tribes of Israel. In other words, in everything that the priest did, in the offering of sacrifices, in the burning of incense... He was doing it as a representative of the people. And the 12 stones were a sign that representatively the 12 tribes of Israel were coming before God and offering the sacrifices. It's a bit like when the mayor of Dubbo goes to a conference and he wears the I Love Dubbo t-shirt. I know we've been embarrassed by the photos, but he's being a representative of Dubbo. Hopefully he's negotiating a better NBN deal or doing something good for the city of Dubbo, but he's doing it as our representative. Put all that together and the priest is the go-between between people and God. God is up there. He is perfect. And because of our sin, we can't approach him. And a priest is meant to bridge that gap. Which is why, as we open up to 1 Samuel 2, it is a huge problem if the priests are corrupt. Because the priests are the very ones who are meant to help the sinful Israel come before their holy God. Let's work our way through the passage now. Turn back with me to verse 12, where the reading started. 1 Samuel 2.12 Eli's sons were wicked men. They had no regard for the Lord. Or as some translations put it, Eli's sons were scoundrels. They did not know the Lord. It's not a great start, is it? How can you be a priest representing God if you don't even know God, if you don't even care about God? Read on, verse 13. 
as we read on in verse 13 there, the priests are plunging forks into the meat that the people are bringing to the temple and they're taking it for themselves. That doesn't sound great. But there's actually something even worse than that happening as we read on. What's worse is the priests are not just taking the meat, the boiled meat. They are taking the parts of the animal that should have been offered to God as a sacrifice. Verse 15. But even before the fat was burned, the servant of the priest would come and say to the man who was sacrificing, give the priest some of the meat to roast. He won't accept boiled meat from you, but only raw. If the man said to him, let the fat be burned up first and then take whatever you want, the servant would then answer, no, hand it over now. If you don't, I'll take it by force. Why are they fighting over the fat? The fat is the part of the animal that was meant to be burnt on the altar as the sacrifice to God. The people could eat the meat, but the fat was the offering. The priests aren't even letting people offer the fat of their animals as a sacrifice. Which means they're not just, people aren't just going away from the temple hungry because of the meat the priests are eating. They're going away from the temple unforgiven because they can't offer their sacrifices. I take it that's why there is such a damning summary of the priests in verse 17. The sin of the young men was very great in the Lord's sight, for they were treating the Lord's offering with contempt. Often there's these little Christian sayings go around. I don't know where they come from. A lot of them aren't true. We hear the one that says, you know, there's no levels of sin. Clearly, that is not true. Sin in leaders of God's people is worse. And we get a sense of that, don't we, when we see people in the church abuse their power, all this terrible stuff that's coming out in the Royal Commission. It makes you feel sick when you hear about it. And it should. It's inexcusable in anyone, let alone in the leaders of God's people. Same in Samuel's day, verse 17. The sin of the young men was very great in the Lord's sight. God is not going to let Eli's sons get away with this. In verse 25, he says that he's going to put them to death. And then in verse 31 to 34, he describes the rest of the judgment, not just on Eli's sons, but on Eli. Now, we saw Eli give his sons a bit of a warning, but it looks like he has done too little too late. And so this judgment is going to be on Eli's family and it's going to take a few generations but in the end God will remove the privilege of being priests from Eli's family. That's the end of it for them. But God can't leave his people without priests and so God has a plan to replace the old priesthood with a new one. When Jill and I first got married, we had a 1968 Ford Falcon. Some of you might even remember when we arrived at Dubbo in our Falcon, our 1968 trusty Falcon. Now look, it might have been a great car in its day, but by the time we had it, it was well and truly past its use by date. It was unreliable, 
It didn't have air conditioning. It guzzled through the fuel. The gears got stuck. The tyres didn't wear down evenly. Problem is, we didn't have another car. So we were stuck with it. There was no other option. Then Jill's parents, seeing the suffering of her daughter, (laughs) bought us a Camry. We replaced the old car with a better one. Now, look, we can debate the merits of Falcons and Camrys, but at the time, the Camry was a better option. God is not going to leave Israel without priests. He's going to give them a better option. He's going to give them a new one, a faithful priest. Verse 35, I will raise up for myself a faithful priest who will do what is in my heart and my mind. I will firmly establish his house and he will minister before my anointed one always. Now, I wonder who this new faithful priest will be. Now, before we all sort of jump to Jesus, because we're used to the Old Testament pointing to Jesus, and that's a good thing. As we read through 1 Samuel chapter 2, it seems to be that the writer is setting us up that this new priest will be Samuel. Because as we've been working through this section on the evil sons of Eli who are priests, we've been catching these little glimpses along the way of Samuel, just peppered through. We've been skipping through scenes. I know we didn't um, notice it because I sort of just focused in on all the stuff about Eli's evil sons. But look back at chapter 2, verse 11. Then Elkanah went home to Ramah, but the boy, Samuel, ministered before the Lord under Eli the priest. Then we've got a bit about the bad priests, and then look at verse 18. But Samuel was ministering before the Lord, a boy wearing a linen ephod. Ephod, that's interesting. The priests wear an ephod. Verse 26, after we hear about the evil priests again, and the boy Samuel continued to grow in stature and in favour with the Lord and with men. All through the wicked priest is a peppered these descriptions of Samuel. It's got to make you wonder, maybe he's the priest being promised here. He's not. And I think that's deliberately there to sort of get us excited and make us think, well, who then will this priest be? Who will be the priest who's after God's own heart if it's not Samuel? Well, it's then that we fast forward a thousand years. And the writers of the New Testament cannot but help get excited about Jesus being this faithful high priest. Hebrews 7.27 Unlike other high priests, he does not need to offer sacrifices day after day first for his own sins and then for the sins of the people. He sacrificed for their sins once for all when he offered himself. Or Ephesians 5 two. Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Jesus is the perfect priest. Not someone who offered an animal as a symbol of forgiveness. He offered his own life 
to actually win for us forgiveness. And like was promised in 1 Samuel, here is a priest who has the heart of God. As this priest wrestled in the Garden of Gethsemane before his death, he said to his father, Abba, Father, everything is possible for you. Take this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. There is a priest who has the heart of God. This priest didn't put his own interests above the interest of God's people. This priest took our sin upon himself on the cross. And because he did all that, he is now seated at God's right hand on our behalf, in God's presence as our representative. Romans puts it like this. Christ Jesus, who died, more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. In other words, Jesus is there now in God's presence praying for me. Father, look at this one of mine, Wayne. I died for him. He needs your help. He's so selfish. He's so inconsistent. His prayers are so short-sighted. But I understand what he's going through. I've been tempted like he was. I know what it is to be human. Help him, Father. Help him to see more of you. Now, look, I don't know if that's exactly what it looks like, but it is pretty exciting to think that Jesus, right now, is in God's presence, praying for his people. He's your priest. He's the go-between between you and God. Because of him, you have completely free, unlimited access to God. This is massive. Do you see how this changes our life? Do you see the lesson for you? Firstly, the big lesson is that you need a priest and you need to go to your priest regularly. And I'm not talking about a Catholic priest. I'm talking about Jesus. You need him. You need him because he's the only way that you can be forgiven. But you need him because he is the one who takes your prayers to the Father. And God invites you to bring your concerns to him. Not to worry about things in your life, but to pray to him. So when you're worried, or when you're feeling weak, or overwhelmed, or guilty, or tempted, when you have any concern that you want to bring to God... Any concern about yourself or about someone else or a concern about what is going on in the world, your priest is there waiting. And you come to the Father through him every time you open your mouth and pray. Hebrews says, We do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are but was without sin. Let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence 
that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. You need a priest. The flip side of that is you don't need priests. And by that I mean you do not need any other priests other than Jesus. Which means the problem of Samuel's day can never happen again. You don't have to worry about bad priests blocking your access to God. No church leader or other Christian can stop you growing in your relationship with God. You have Jesus. Now look, you can have bad experiences with church leaders or with other Christians or with churches. But if you've had a bad experience, don't hold on to that and let it be your excuse for not drawing near to God. Don't leave your relationship with God up to others. There is no reason at all for you not to have a deep, growing, intimate relationship with God. Some of you may come from a Catholic background and you may struggle with this idea of not having a priest because in the Catholic Church, they do have people called priests. And you can actually go and confess to your priest and he's right there. And not only that, you have saints you can pray to who are a little bit closer to God than you are and you have Mary to pray to who understands you like a mother. Isn't it nice just to be able to go to your mum and pour out your heart? Those things sound nice. They actually undermine who Jesus is. Jesus understands us better than any human being. He knows what it is to be human. He's closer to God than any of the saints. He is in God's presence interceding for us. And believe it or not, he cares for you and understands you and loves you more than a mother. You don't need anyone other than Jesus. When I was growing up in our church, we didn't have priests, but we had a group of people called intercessors. Everyone was called to pray, but these people were called to have a special, dedicated life where they would be holy and they would pray to God on behalf of other people. And I got told that I had to go to them and and get them to pray for me. Do you see how that also undermines the role of Jesus? He's our intercessor. Now, that's not that we can't pray for each other. The Bible encourages us to pray for each other, but we can all pray for each other. There's not some special group of Christians who have more access to God. You can pray for me. I can pray for you. You can pray for the person sitting next to you or behind you or in front of you at church. We can all pray through Jesus who intercedes for us. Do you see the wonderful news of 1 Samuel? Jesus has done everything that needs to be done. The doorway for you to come before God in prayer is wide open. God's there listening. We don't have a high priest who's unable to sympathise with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, but was without sin. Let us then approach 
the throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and grace to help us in our time of need. Let's pray. Father God, what a, what a great privilege that it is that even right now we can speak with you and you hear us because of what Jesus has done. Father, we pray that prayer would not be our last resort, but Father, we pray that we would be on our knees coming to you as our Heavenly Father, pouring out our hearts. Father, help us to do it regularly. Help us to see the great privilege that it is. Father, help us to pray for ourselves, pray for each other, pray for our friends and family, pray for our world, knowing that you hear everything. And Father, thank you that even when we sin, even when we mess up, that in our time of need, we can come before you confidently because of what Jesus has done. We thank you for our great high priest who has your heart. Amen.